0: Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari and this is Great Big History Podcast. In our continuing series of History 102, we're going to do America and Conservatism after 1965. So we have the United States and the situation we have before from 1945 to 1964 is good. It's good for everybody, but it's very good for middle class, White people, for working class and educated class white people. You get government subsidies from the GI Bill. That's basically a free college education, a um, low interest loan on a house. It's a thank you to the millions of people who fought in the Second World War. Now, the GI Bill was really for white people. It was Available to African-Americans who served in the military as well. And yet it wasn't. There was lots of limitations that were put in. On how African-American men could use that GI Bill. Where they could go. Where they could uh, buy a house. Or if that house would even be uh, covered the same way. But you have a large government subsidy. Of Americans you have pro-union policies you've got good wages the minimum wage in 1964 is equivalent to the buying power today of $22 an hour the pro-union policies made sure that people were making $20 an hour in 1965 and you had growth Throughout the 1950s and 1960s, you had 6% growth. I have never lived in a time of 6% growth. My entire life is 2 to 3%. There may be one, you know, a quarter here and a quarter there. But year after year, my parents grew up in a time year after year after year that the economy was growing 6%, 8%, 10%. So life is good and this leads to the suburbanization of mostly the white middle class, also mostly white. So you get people leaving Camden and they start settling in Collingswood and uh, Haddon Heights and Haddon Township and um, Cherry Hill. You know, Cherry Hill is as big as Camden. Camden is a city, Cherry Hill is a suburb and yet there is as many people in Cherry Hill as there are in Camden, and Cherry Hill is a way bigger economy. We're going to talk about these kind of things. So suburbanization, the leaving of the cities, which the United States government wanted, because one of the great dangers of the Great Depression was urban unrest. The idea that cities could ignite a revolution. So what they wanted was to spread people out. And so... What the GI Bill did, what these mortgages did was encourage the buying up of farmland near cities and converting them into housing. So that people who lived in small apartments that they didn't own could suddenly own real estate. And that real estate became the number one savings, the number one asset most people had. Most Americans still have as their number one asset, not stocks and not bonds, not financial instruments, but their house, which most of their house is actually owned by the bank. It's because it's in a mortgage. But that mortgage is a low interest rate. You can own property. You could sell that property. You could renovate that property. So a home, a car, property, property, Memberships in local community organizations. You had people to, to, who were like you, who you could associate with. You had homogeneous schools and affordable colleges, state or community colleges. that were highly subsidized through taxation by the local and state and federal governments. Canham County College, when it was created in the mid-60s, is on like 300 acres of land. Prime real estate. It's great land. And it was supposed to be 30% tuition, 30% um, county, 30% state. 30, 30, 30. Like 33, 33, 33. That the three different branches, the individual, county, and the state would all contribute equally to the running of the school. That's nowhere near what it is today. It may have been in the 60s. It's not today. Both the county and the state contribute significantly, if not half of that 33%. And so students today are forced to pay the the larger share of the cost of the college through their tuition and their fees. And they pay it by student loans. So your future self is paying what used to be in the 1960s government's job. You're covering what government used to cover. There's low crime. People are spread out and of similar economic status. The number one crime people have is theft in, in urban societies, and always has been. You have people of the same social and economic status. I don't have to steal from my neighbors. They have the same stuff I've got. But people of color are locked out. Look at Norman Rockwell's America. The famous Norman Rockwell. Not Norman Rockwell later in the 60s, where he really goes into civil rights. But the famous Norman Rockwell, the Americana Norman Rockwell, it's a white country. It's a white working class, white educated class, white collar class, suburban life. And here's our several of our pictures, right? The the boy with his puppy, right? And his parents, her in a dress, him in his suit, you know, happily looking at how happy Their son's life is. Hey, they're going on vacation to the left. They're going to have, they're bringing a canoe. They own a canoe. There's grandma in the back seat, you know, looking dour, but she's off. Dad is driving. Mom has, it looks like a little puppy on her lap, you know, and they're driving off into the future. There's there's the dog and the boy driving off into the future. Their, wind, their heads out of the window. Nobody's wearing a seatbelt. Because you're apparently never going to have a car accident. Lion Estates. Groundbreaking this winter. If you know the re- where this is a reference to. Which movie this is a reference to. Live in the home of tomorrow today. They're going to take farmland. And carve it all up. And what do you have? You have got your white family. And then our runaway, our Norman Rockwell runaway, a lower right, in an age where we've dealt with Black Lives Matter and police killing of civilians. Look at what we have here. The local police officer has tracked down the local runaway, and they're having going to have an ice cream soda, right? They're all hanging out at the local shop, the soda shop, Having a little conversation. The cop is on the clock, man. But he's going to have a meal with the kid because cops are good guys and they do good things and they take time. Well, yeah, we'll look at everybody. Everybody's white, they're of roughly the same social and ec- economic situation. There's a lot going on in this picture about what America is, how America thinks of itself. There is no chance, zero chance of this police officer shooting this boy. And you say, well, he's a boy. Tells him you're right that. There's children every year shot by cops. Every year. So. People of color are locked out of the suburban world. And even if there are suburbs. That they could get into. They're African-American suburbs they're black suburbs. Roosevelt on Long Island. They're built for African-Americans. To keep them out of white Levittown. Which is exactly what happened. We also have racism and segregation. Now, it's by law in the South, but it's by economics in the North and the Midwest. Even The Simpsons is segregated by race. Now, here I would play a video. I can't do it on, on YouTube. But you go to The Simpsons church their protestant church and they're all yellow they're all they're all white you know i know in the simpsons they're yellow but there's a scene where they're like where's dr hibbert it's like oh well dr hibbert's at the more boisterous church and it's they go to go see dr hibbert and it's all black people so the saying that you know this the, is it the south or america is most segregated 10 o'clock on a Sunday, Sunday morning, is seen in The Simpsons. There's no black people in Simpsons Protestant Church. And there's no white people in Dr. Hibbert's black church, black Protestant church. And so even The Simpsons is showing you just how racist and segregated America is. Even in its cartoons, it reflects that part of America. So, conservatism in America, 1964 to the present. Because in 1964, Lyndon Johnson wins a crushing victory that seemed to destroy conservatism. Conservatism in 1964 seemed to be dead. Certainly, alt-right, right-wing, fascist, and Randian conservatism was dead, seemed to be dead, I have to say. In 1964, it was a 1936 type of election. Lyndon Johnson wins a crushing, absolutely crushing victory. And he's a liberal. is the pinnacle of New Deal liberalism. It's going to be the war on poverty. We're going to solve poverty in America. He's also getting deeper into the Vietnam War. And so by 1968, he'll lose. And Nixon... A conservative Republican, though a foreign policy guy more than an economics guy, is going to win. And in 1972, wins a crushing conservative victory, law and order, anti-communism, that completely changes, flips liberalism and conservatism. His victory in 72 changes everything. So in 10 years, from 64 to 72, America goes through a massive upheaval, which you know, because we'll have the civil rights. We'll have the pinnacle of civil rights in 64 and 65. The Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. Then we'll have the assassinations in 68. We'll have um, the Vietnam War, the protests against the Vietnam War. We'll have Woodstock. We'll have the Beatles break up. Between 1964 and 1972, America convulses in a cultural explosion. It's, you have the Weathermen as liberals, liberal terrorism, right? You also have the KKK blowing up black churches as conservative terrorism. 1968 in the world was a convulsion. There's, there's the Prague Spring. There's also the Paris erupting in revolution. 1968 is, the, is kind of the worst year of unrest since 1848. It's a year the entire world kind of, you have the cultural revolution in China. And so a reaction, especially of white people, was to bunker down, was to turn inward, was to give up on New Deal liberalism. They had gotten theirs. And so conservatism in America was about protecting what they had gotten since 1932. So it's anti-communist, it's pro-capitalist, which made it anti-union and pro-Protestant, pro-Protestant work ethic and anti-European. Jews and Catholics were urban and suspicious, and they still are. Listen to how conservatives talk about New York City. And they use euphemisms for the Italians, for the Jews, for the gays. But they're still urban and suspicious. They're not real Americans. Sarah Palin said as much. In her stump speech in 2008, when she traveled through the South, rural South, and said, I'm so glad to be here in real America, rural America, Southern America, with real Americans. Well, what does that make the Jews and Catholics and blacks and gays of New York? They're not real Americans? Your 98% white, rural, Southern group is real Americans? That's exactly what conservatism is saying. That's exactly the, when people say, The country is getting away from me. I want my country back after Obama's election. That's exactly what they're saying. The Jews were commies. The Catholics had the Pope. They they both have this dual loyalty. They're not real Americans. They're not Protestants. They're not us. The unions are holding back capital. Well, the unions are voting for Democrats. So the Republicans have... Conservatives have nothing other than to try to win over the capitalists. They can't win over the unions. They've been, the unions have been with the Democrats since the 30s. Two, it's anti-homosexual. As the 60s go on and there's a sexual revolution, it's increasingly the idea that gay men and gay women are a thing and that you're going to have to deal with them in a way that they didn't have to in the 40s and the 50s, that they didn't exist. Now, you'll go, wait a minute, there were gay people, and of course there were gay people, but they couldn't be out. They couldn't be in gay relationships. Out. You couldn't say, this is my partner, this is my husband, this is my... You couldn't do that in the 50s, in the early 60s, even in the late 60s, in the early 70s. It becomes, in certain places, San Francisco, New York, more acceptable... But there's a very strong strain of anti-homosexuality in the conservatism. It's pro-straight family with a man working and a wife home doing unpaid labor. It's Leave it to Beaver. It's Father's own Best. It's the early episodes of WandaVision. Right? It's the early episodes of WandaVision. She stays home. She has nothing to do but cook all day in the early episodes. You go, wait a minute, she's a superhero. That's crazy. Three, it's anti-civil rights for black folk. It's anti-citizenship for all but, it says "by" but it's but the oldest Spanish folk in the South and Southwest. You have segregation of populations, especially black men from white women, and this is enforced by terrorism, the KKK, and violence. It's lynching, the public murder of black men and Spanish men. It's open warfare in places. It's pro-patriotism, pro-nation, pro-American, but a traditional interpretation of who the USA is. So you get things like the Pledge of Allegiance, Memorial Day parades, military flyovers of sporting events. Like, why do I need a bomber over my football game? In fact, a bomber over a football game is a scary thing, not a prideful thing. Look at Guernica that we talked about. So it's pro-martial civil organizations whether it's the boy scouts to knights of columbus you have organizations that are okay with a more martial more military concept of america and they're almost all conservative that doesn't make none of this makes any of this bad this is just the way it is it's conservatism had to carve itself out from the dominant liberal culture And conservatism, you have to understand, doesn't want anything. It wants to stop things. It wants freedom, quote unquote. It wants independence, quote unquote. Well, what does that mean? It wants less government. Well, what does that mean? Because people want government, right? They want their roads paved. Talk to any mayor. And the problems he's dealing with with complaints from people is that they want more government, not less. They want dog poop picked up. They want the garbage collected. They want the potholes filled. They want more government. That's why people live in Haddonfield and not in the rural part of southeastern New Jersey, where there is less government. People aren't moving there. They're moving to Haddonfield, where there's more government. And so in 1964, you have New Deal liberalism hits its zenith, as we talked about. The idea that government's job is to help people, to make the country better. You have the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, to make sure that African-Americans are treated better than they were. To end Jim Crow. To give them access to the polls. The idea was that if they have access to the polls. It was a very 19th century British idea. You give people access to the polls. Parties will have to compete for those votes. That was the idea. That's exactly what happened when working class people got the right to vote in Britain. A labor party was invented. And said we want those votes. We want to win. And that would help African-American folks get representation. It's not what happened. It's what happened is, basically, the African-American folk, black folk, voted Democrat, and so Republicans swooped in and tried to take all of the white vote. And since white people outnumber black people in the South, the idea was, you can win with just the white vote. So identity politics for minorities. We want to use these new rights. And civil rights equaled a political, social equality. And a demand for an economic equality, which is huge. That didn't exist for the 400 years. Black folk had been, African and black folk had been in America. There had never been economic equality. And now civil rights was a demand for it. It's first for political and social equality and then for economic equality. We should be paid the same. We should have the same access to jobs. Marriage equality and the end of sexual segregation, which took a Supreme Court ruling to end. You live in a world where any colored person can marry any other colored person. That's not said correctly, I guess. I don't know. But any any race can marry any other race. That wasn't the world of your parents. That was definitely not the world of your grandparents. You get women's rights, equality of pay, economic opportunity, which is seen by conservatism as an attack on men's status as the breadwinner. If women can get a job and be paid as much as a man... Why do they need to get married? What's the role of men? And so you get a counter-reaction by conservative whites who don't want to lose status. And that lose goes in quotation marks because it's in a democratic society, you're supposed to be equal. There isn't a status to lose. And so you get Goldwater who gets crushed in 64, but Nixon, then Reagan, and you... And... If you argue for integration, you lose power. So Goldwater to Nixon to Reagan are all segregationists. They're not segregationists in Jim Crow sense, but in the economic sense. And in sometimes, in some ways, the Jim Crow sense, where we have, you know, the 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 the. Um in mass incarceration Blacks who blacks want to ruin your neighborhoods with crime and welfare that is that's the argument from Goldwater to Nixon to Reagan women want to take your job and they want to make you into a girl too they want to take away your pants they want to take away your status as a breadwinner they want to give you a fluffy job And political correctness are all these liberals, we we might call it cancel culture today, is again attack on white men. Of what you think, what you can say, what you believe. You used to say these words and now some uh, you know liberal from New York is telling you you can't. You know. And so what do you get? You get White flight, you get whites leaving. No longer pulling away, taking their wealth with them. You have white flight to the suburbs. Camden goes from 60% white to 15% white. And yet the suburbs around it. Collinswood, Merchantville, Haddon Township, Haddon Field, Voorhees. Are predominantly white. Detroit is even bigger. Detroit is even a bigger flea. Detroit is a urban, black, African-American core surrounded by the richest suburbs in America, in the Midwest. And then they built highways so that white people could go to work there and then leave. Look at the highways that were built so that white folk in the suburbs can go on the Walt Whitman Bridge Or the Ben Franklin Bridge. Look at 130. You never have to go through Camden. You go above it. Hi, as you pass on by. By the time you reach the Walt Women Bridge, you are so far above Camden, you wouldn't even know it looks nice. You're like, oh, that's a nice town. I can live there, that's a nice city. The only time you have to go through Camden is on the Paco from the suburbs. You you have two stops, and then you're gone. You have a tunnel, two stops. Oh, well, no. You have two stops, a tunnel, and then you're up into the Ben Franklin. So you see Camden, but you're in a metal tube passing through it. On the Ben Franklin, you're above it. On the Old Woman, you're above it. And on 130, you're on the edge of it. You're beyond it. You don't actually have to ever, as a white person, in living in the suburbs, ever have to actually go through Camden. Camden is trapped. It can't expand. It can't go to the north. It can't go to the east. It can't go to the south. Think about New York, how much New York expanded. From the tip of Manhattan all the way up Manhattan Island, into the Bronx, and then, with the bridges, jumped over to, to absorb Brooklyn and Queens and Staten Island. Camden can't expand. It's hemmed in. It is a ghetto. And that's what the politicians in the 60s and the 70s wanted. They wanted it segregated away. So think about the words we use, and this is important because this tells you about the world you live in. If you make it in Camden, you're an African-American or Spanish man or woman, Hispanic, I should say, man or woman, who makes it, right? You have achieved everything, top of your grade, going to college. What do you say you were a success? And what do you say? How do you describe that? There's a movie of this name. You get out. You get out of the hood. You get out of the ghetto. You leave. You don't go back. Get out means I got out. Means you're not going back. You escaped something. That's not love. That's not pride. That's not hope. That's I escaped. Oh, that's exhaustion. Get out. Why kids in Haddonfield don't say get out. They go back home. They return to see their folks. They don't get out. They don't want to get out. They go and explore. They go and have opportunities. They do more. They advance. And they return. Look at the words we use. It's very Foucaultian. But that's what we did as Americans. And that's what conservatism did. As a reaction. And that's what white people wanted. As a reaction To the civil rights of the 1960s. So you get white flight to the suburbs. And that's aided by the banks, the real estate, the banks who could get white people money. That's aided by corporations that were perfectly willing to move their, their corporations out of Camden and into the suburbs. Look at the amount of money Cherry Hill makes. Look at all of the corporations that invest in putting stores there. The mall, that's trillions of dollars in corporate wealth, not in money that passes through Camden. That's hundreds of millions of dollars in Camden, and Camden and Cherry Hill. And so we get white flight and the invention of urban poverty, which is completely different than the history of the world. The world is cities are rich. Cities are not poor. There are poor people in cities. But there are poor people in rural. Rural people are always poorer than city people, always in history. Now they're not. Now we get the invention of the urban poor. Now what I have up is a picture from an article from back in the day by the Washington Post called The World Apart. And you can Google it, but, the, but unfortunately the statistics no longer work. You have to use, I found another database, or you can use Wolfram, Wolfram Alpha's um, zip code comparison. But look at this map, all right? What you need to know about this map and all of its towns, it's all the zip codes, is that the darker blue it is, the poorer it is, in comparison to all other zip codes in America. So the darkest blue are some of the are the poorest percent five percent to ten percent, and then the lightest yellow, the lightest yellow green is the richest. And look at Philly. Now remember, you've got that line that makes that river, so where that. Fia is is Camden. And you're talking, you have a core, you have center city. You've got this core rich place, right? And what is it surrounded by? Some of the poorest zip codes in the country. And then you come out to your greens. To your blue greens, to your green greens, and then to your yellow greens. And so Voorhees and... and um, Haddonfield are two of the richest, best educated, also whitest zip codes in the country. Look at what happens to the suburbs of Philadelphia. In politics, they're always talking about the suburbs of Philadelphia. Well, look at that. It's all green. So you're talking 80% plus, and then yellows, 90% plus. Percentiles. When I say percent, I'm talking about percentile in the country. You're talking about the top 25% and higher of zip codes in the entire country, surrounding some of the poorest zip codes in the entire country. What caused this? Well, what caused it is redlining, the denial of public services, the idea that government and banks. Drew what was at the time a red line around neighborhoods, around zip codes and said, we won't put fire in there. We won't put police in there. We will not upgrade the sewer systems. We will not upgrade the water systems that we will not invest public money in certain areas and banks won't invest, won't let people get loans to improve those areas which means there's no chance for renewal. There is no money. There's no public services and there's no money to build it yourself. Like it's one thing for government to say we are not going to have a fire department in this zip code. It's bad, but you can and you can elect try to elect somebody who will change that. But you could say well we'll have our own fire department. We'll have a volunteer fire department. Right. well, will it by taxes of the local town. You couldn't because the banks wouldn't give you the loans to improve your houses. So what happens over the period of 10 to 20 years, your houses collapse, the housing market collapses, the infrastructure collapses. Does anyone want to live there? Do white people want to live there? Do rich people want to live there? No. And so they flee. So you couldn't get a loan from a bank to improve a house in Camden, but you could get a loan to buy a house, if you were, especially if you were a white person, to buy a house in Collingswood, right over 130. This is where, when we talk about history, we're talking about we're living in it. Success equaled getting out, to leave the place, to leave your family, to leave your friends, and to move to a wider neighborhood, to be more of a minority. To leave a place where you were the majority and to have to be a minority somewhere else. Minority in population. Minority in culture. After 1980, conservatism wins. With Reagan, and especially his crushing victory in 1984, conservatism wins. Liberalism has never really recovered to the point that they call Obama and Hillary Clinton like, the most liberal president ever. To a, to a liberal, they are sent to right. They look like Eisenhower. Like Obama's Eisenhower. Eisenhower is a Republican. That's how far to the right, conserv- that's how much conservatism has won since 1980. It's how far to the right conservatism has gone. That any liberalism looks crazy. Even when it's really what Republican, what Republicanism, what conservatism had been in a previous generation. So you have the dismantling of the New Deal welfare state, low taxes for the rich, the idea of trickle down economics. If the rich get rich, they'll spend money and employ poor people, poorer people. It never happened. Didn't happen. Because we're living in a consumption economy and more people are poorer. And they buy more stuff. You have massive in uh, you have the investment of wealth, not in work, but in investments. This is a 19th century idea that rich people were making money off the stock market, not their labor. They weren't making more money. They were inheriting more money. And they were investing more money. And that money was growing on its own. One of the big things that you have to get over is the idea that the American Protestant work ethic, the idea that rich people work harder. No, they don't. The wealthier you get, the less you work because the more your money is working for you. And sure, there's stories of Carnegie or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, they're working 19 hours, 22 hours a day, yeah? They always find time to hang out in Davos. Jeff Bezos went to space. Jeff Bezos did not earn $100 billion because of his job as CEO. He earned $100 billion because of his ownership of a massive corporation. Those are two different things. So you have massive investment in the military after 1980. Which is huge and people think is natural but after Vietnam, Americans didn't want to fight anymore. They didn't want to go to war. Russia, the Soviet Union could have conquered Europe in 1975 without really a problem. We would have nuked everything which is how we get the songs we talked about like Land of Confusion and And the Cold War songs, which is why Europeans were like, oh, my God, Reagan is going to nuke us. That's how come I had to to hide in bomb shelters, in nuclear fallout shelters. Because Americans really didn't want to fight despite the massive investment in the military. The U.S. is equal to the next 10 countries combined in the world. And at some points it was equal to essentially the entire world, most of the world combined. The next 30 countries, 40 countries. But for all of this, there is massive debts for all the talk of small government and living within your means. Reagan and conservatives after him do not pay for what they buy. To keep voters voting for conservatives, and especially white conservatives, who still need services. Remember I talked about people still want government. They want their Medicare. They want Social Security. They want FEMA to help them when a hurricane hits. They want Farm Aid. You know, they want the federal redistribution of taxes to poorer states. New Jersey gets the least money back. It gets 80 cents per tax dollar. Alabama, a conservative Republican state, gets $2.50 for every tax dollar. Think about that. The richer, more liberal state of New Jersey actually is losing money by being part of America. And Alabama is doubling its investment. It's doubling its money, almost tripling it. So rich, liberal, urban states subsidize rural, conservative states. And what does this all prove? It proves culture matters more than economics. It proves culture matters more than economics. That the signals that Nixon, that Reagan that George W. Bush and Donald and President Donald Trump all give is that the anti-gay, anti-liberal, anti-feminist, anti-change is more important than the economic part. Because look at the change in real economics since 1980. The top 0.01%, the top one-hundredth of one percent have made five to six hundred percent more money meanwhile the bottom 90 percent which is not just your retail workers your it's also your bottom 90 percent is also your walmart managers it's your teachers it's your cops since 1980 their wages in real income are essentially unchanged we have not gotten a pay raise the bottom 90% has not gotten a pay raise essentially since 1973. Meanwhile, the top 1%, and especially the top one tenth of 1%, are up 1,000 points, 500, 600%. If you cared about economics, if conservatives cared about economics, they would not allow this to happen because their voters would freak out the idea that you you're not making more money after 20 years 20 30 years is crazy that you would keep voting for this so it's culture that matters okay they're not going to help me so much economically but they're going to keep me safe from the things i don't like they're going to stop the change of things i worry about they're going to to stop evolution of society in a direction I don't want. So culture matters more than economics. There's a book that comes out somewhere around two thousand called what's the what's the Matter with Kansas? That deals exactly with this. Why would Kansas vote for a bunch of people that are making can, can- Kansans, Kansas citizens poorer, which was happening. And the answer was, they were getting a war against liberalism, and that's what they really wanted. There's a new book out today about, um, the th- they call like, something The Things We Lose, which is about that um, people, racism makes people willing to live with less as long as someone else gets even less. And the, the author is a lawyer who talks about public pools. Then in the 1970s, public pools had to be desegregated black folk and brown folk had to be able to go to a public pool. So what a lot of communities did in the North as well as the South was close their public pools so that nobody had access to the public pool. Now, who did that hurt? Yes, that hurt African-Americans. That hurt brown people. Hurt people of color. Yes. It also hurt poor whites. Because what happened, and you've seen this in your own in New Jersey, People started installing pools and the richer people started installing pools in the back of their houses. Now that made their house worth more, but you had to have the $10,000, dollars $20,000 up front to install an in-ground pool. And then you had to wait for the price of the house to appreciate. Or and this is true in Cherry Hill and a couple other towns, there's private pools. You had to be a member. Now, that membership was open to everybody. Black, white, brown, Asian, everybody. But you had to pay the dues. You had to pay the fee. And what do you think that fee was? That fee was a high enough level that essentially locked the poorest people out. And in America, that's poor whites and people of color. So people were worse off, they lost the pool, but they were willing to do so because other people lost more. The biggest change becomes segregation by wealth and education. And we are living in this now. You are participating in it by getting a college education and you get the rise of what's called super zip codes. Richer people create space, i.e. a different universe, for their children than the zip code next door. Different experiences, different colleges, different jobs, different spouses. It's Huxley's brave new world that divided people into alphas and betas and zetas. And they divided them by jobs. That's the caste system in India. But the richer, more college-educated people live together. They marry each other and they hold on to that wealth. I.e., Haddonfield kids never mix with Camden kids. They go to different colleges. They date different people. They marry different people of different economic status. They live in a... And Haddonfield kids not only live in a different universe than Camden kids, they live in a different universe than Haddon Township and Collingswood kids. They might live in the same universe as Moorstown as kids, but Haddonfield kids are more likely to go to college with people from Essex, from Ulster, from Short Hills, from North Jersey, from the richer towns of North Jersey. And that's who their parents want them to marry. Look at our areas, right? Look at the five miles Of Haddon Avenue. From Camden to Haddonfield. Look at the data. Camden. Where Haddon Avenue begins. Is 63% African American black. Two miles away. In Collingswood. It's 89% white. And two miles past that. In in Haddonfield. It's 94% white. Even U.S. citizens go from 94% to 98%. And member, m- people of Hispanic origin go from 34% to 5%. And in Haddonfield, it's 3.5%. But look at colleges. College degree and above. So what you're getting in an AA and AS or more. In Camden, it's 11.7% two miles to the east in Collingswood it's 55 56 percent and two miles past that it's 72 percent Meanwhile less than a high school diploma is one third of the people living in this zip code in Camden to less than five percent in Camden in Collingswood and in what's less than 2% in Hanfield? and then look at the income, the median household income, twenty two thousand dollars a year. That's poverty. You could type in twenty two thousand dollars times what? Fifty two weeks a year divided by 40. And you find out how many that that is per hour. Twenty-two thousand dollars a year. In Collingswood, it's eighty-eight thousand. Now that's a household. That's 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 everyone working. In eighty-nine thousand dollars, and in Haddonfield, it's a hundred and eleven thousand. Those people, those three groups, from Camden to Collingswood, is an increase of four times. They don't live in the same universe. They don't have the same experiences. They don't send their s- kids to the same camps. Look at poverty. Population before po- underneath poverty is thirty-eight percent versus four percent versus three percent. Hannonfield is twice the national average. Collinswood is one point six times the national a- average in income, but. The zip code in Camden is half the national average. That's five miles. That's not even a half of a half marathon. Five miles isn't even a morning jog for a lot of people. And yet you're talking about completely different Universes. The effect. The top 0.01%. People who make over $20 million a year. Live in a different universe. Than everybody else. Completely different universe. The top 1%. Has $400,000 a year. And they're leaving the top. The left. The 99% behind. But the top 10%. Those who make 125000 are trying to leave the bottom 90% behind. They're trying to catch up to the top 1%. And these are your people who are voting Republican in the suburbs. They're my friends. They're all top 10%, all of them. They all vote Republican. Why? Because they don't want higher taxes. They don't want anything that drags them down and keeps them away from being the top 1%. Because they know the top 1% is leaving them behind. They can see it. $300,000 a year is a different life. But if I'm living the top 10%, I can buy that house in Hannonfield and live with the top 1%. But, but they have better cars than I do. They take longer vacations than I do to cooler spots, but I'm still living in the same place. But if anything bad happens, my wife loses her job, right? The kids, um, I lose my job. The kids get sick, right? Have an accident, have a car accident. I might lose that spot. I might have to sell that house and move to Collingswood. Now, I'm a top 10% white person. I'd have to do something terrible, and that's mostly drugs. Or violence to completely tumble out of the the top escalons of white privilege to end up in Camden. So to end up where people are struggling to get out of. And that's your racism. So you have mostly white college educated married couples in the suburbs around these expensive cities. They want lower taxes so they vote conservative. Even though socially they're not, socially most of them are happy to have gay friends, gay family members, they're feminists, their wives are working, and their wives are college-educated, just like they are. So they're liberal culturally. They might do uh, philanthropy. They're definitely, their dog is a rescue. They donate to girls and boys clubs. And they don't have a great nostalgia because they're younger for the way things used to be in the 50s. They just don't want to get left behind the way everyone else is getting left behind. They want their kids to go to Swarthmore, to Villanova, if they can't get them into Princeton. So they're willing to have high school and property tax spending. Hannafield, Voorhees, Morristown, all spend a tremendous amount on their schools. A tremendous amount. When when I remember when I got hired and I moved down from New York, um, Chris Christie was the new governor and he said, I am going to, New Jersey has way too high taxes. We're going to stop the property taxes from being raised, which was what was a disaster out in California. So just stop that. But we're going to stop that. So you can only raise your property taxes 1%. Haddonfield, Voorhees, Morristown, all put in submissions. They wanted to raise it higher. Why? Because that 1% wasn't enough to keep their high schools funded to the level that they wanted. They would have had to have cut programs. They would have had to have cut sports. So suddenly those sports um, scholarships that were going to get you to these higher level schools and make them affordable... Something would have been lost. Music classes would have been lost. Art classes would have been lost. And they went, No, 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 no. I want the French club to go to France so that my kid has that experience and hangs out with French people and European people for a summer. No, 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 no. And you know that's gonna be one of the things that are gonna be cut, or they're gonna say, we'll keep it but the price is going to double or triple because now you have to pay for it. We don't have any school money to pay for it. And so it's, it's an interesting thing. They want lower taxes, but they are perfectly willing to spend higher taxes on the schools while their kids are in them. Credit, savings, home values, all equaled people are very worried about liberal policies hurting them. Student loans to get into elite schools subsidize the costs to hang with rich kids. So keeping up with the 1% is getting harder and harder to do from 1980 to 2020 as the top 0.01% and the top 1% completely leave everybody else behind because every year that compounds. It's $20 million every year, every year, $4, 400,000 dollars a year, every year. In a decade, that's four million dollars difference. That's three million dollars difference between the top one percent, the lowest person in the top one percent, and the highest person or the lowest person in the top ten percent. The average person in the top ten percent. That's three million dollars difference. That's a different life. That's different retirement, that's different everything. And I know you can trust me on this. You may be like, oh professor. I know these people. I'm a college professor. I may be at a community college, but I went to school with rich people. I lived in New York with rich people. I hung out with rich people, with some seriously rich people. Not a lot. I wasn't. But as a, the world I lived in, and I came from a, a middle class, upper middle class. My father was a, was a high school teacher. So I came from that world, but because I entered a graduate level world of PhDs. And my brother worked on Wall Street. My other brother makes films. I lived in a place where you mingle with these people. You know, so they're getting richer and the top 10% is feeling they're getting left behind, but they can feel like they leave the 90% behind. They don't want to be part of the lower 90%. That's the middle class. That's the ordinary people. They don't want to be part of that. They want to be hanging out with the top 1% which is impossible to do in a, in a America since 1980. So keeping up with the debts equal breaking the middle class, the upper middle class. Less than 50% can afford a $500 bill. Less than 50%. Less than 50% are invested in the stock market. The number one cause of bankruptcy in America is not losing your job. It's getting sick. It's medical. Something that doesn't happen in any other industrialized country. So our great question is, conservatism has no future versus it is the future. Conservatism since 1972, and especially since 1980, is built upon white religious high-income men which is a declining share of the population. Trump won by adding working class white men who are also a declining share of the population. We're simply having less, there are less white people and this is our total fertility rates. See that line, that big black line I put in there? That's, that's uh, increase. You need to have 2.1 kids in order to increase the population. The only people who are above that line are Hispanic women. White women are way below that line at 1.83 in 2008. And it's just gone lower because white women are getting college education. They are getting um, jobs. They are working in those jobs. They're having careers, which means there's less time to have children. They're putting off children. So they're not even having, on average, two children, which you need because, remember, a woman needs to have two children because her husband cannot have children cannot give birth to a child. So men are useless in the fertility race. So you need 2.1. And you go, well, why 2.1? is Well, there are children that die, unfortunately. There are people who will never have kids, and there are children who die. And so you need to have more than two just to break even. And in America, white people ain't doing it. African-American women are breaking even. Asian women... Are declining as well but white non-hispanic women are in decline which means white people are in decline so when the races say oh my god there's less white people they're not wrong now they're wrong to blame other people of other races for that it's that's and this is why in every manifesto of a shooter there's somewhere in their manifesto about enslaving white women in order to make them have more kids Because there's not enough white people. So how do you make more white people? White women have to have children. Well, white women don't want to have more children. They want to have careers and college education and and partnerships. And so these guys like, no, 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 no. So the far right, the farthest right of conservatism is a fascism of women's uterus. It's always about control of the women. There's always a section in there. Always about some brave new world. We have to hook women up to machines that force them. We have to put them back in the home. We have to. White women do that their education and working opportunities are below a replacement rate for children. Plus you're getting intermarriage that didn't happen before the 1950s, 1960s. Plus is immigration not from Europe because socialism equals a good life, but the Hispanic world equals the white people are a declining share of the population. They went from 85% in 1964 to 60% in in 2020. Equals a change in culture. People of color have more of a say. They have more cultural power. They have more economic power, which means companies care. The amount of commercials I see in 2018, 2019, 2020, that have interracial couples and interracial kids, a white guy and a African-American women. You even start to see African-American men and white women, which is something you would never have seen in 1970. But you get more visibility and the reaction to that by conservatives who don't want to change. But there are 100 million boomers that are starting to die. They're in their late 60s, they're in their 70s, they're in their 80s. So the bulk of that group that grew up from 1948 to 1968, 1964, excuse me, is starting to leave the world stage. And they don't economically or culturally like doing that, by the way. You see that in the Oscars, right? So the future is female. It's mixed. It's smarter. (laughs) Which means it's more liberal. But a more liberal consensus might create a new conservative consensus because you go, okay, we're happy where we are. We don't need to change, which is exactly what happened in 1980. 1980 was a huge shift to the 1990s. And by 1990, basically, Bill Clinton becomes president, and you get conservatives who are saying, oh, he is so conservative, he is so liberal. He's essentially Reagan. Big on war, on drugs, big on tough on crime. He changes k- welfare to workfare. Like him, Hillary, Obama are all center right. They're essentially conservatives. So a new consensus was created that I have lived in my entire life. And as a liberal, I dislike it, but I have lived my entire life in a conservative world. And I don't know what will happen. Will I ever live in a liberal one like they live, like my parents grew up in? I don't know. I don't know because every new liberalism creates a new conservatism because the new conservatism isn't about creating something new. It's about holding on to what they have. And as American industrial wealth declines, as the rich in their investments separate themselves from the bottom 90%, I don't know what's going to happen in our next class. Well, I do know what's going to happen. It's going to be conflict. It's going to be hard. I don't know what will replace the boomers who have held power since the sixties. I don't know. They've held cultural power since the fifties. So I don't know what what will replace them. And I don't know. it, It could be violent. It could be not. It could be like, we all just agree that, you know, gay people get married. And that's kind of like, that was going to be a big, big fight, and then it just wasn't. And now we're 10 years later, and be like, yeah, of course gay people get married. And there are some people who are like, no, they shouldn't get married. And you look, and you go, eh. the Where are the middle class people, the white people of the suburbs, conservative African-American folk, also living in the suburbs? Where are they on these cultural issues? And in fact, Here's the thing is white people in many cases are more liberal than the black folk who vote for the more liberal party. So there could be a whole realignment of. Um, racial politics along conservative liberal lines, I I don't know, it's it's you are in and then climate change may ruin everything. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. And that's why. that's why people are scared. That's why liberals want change now before climate change ruins everything and conservatives are digging their heels in more because they're like, once we lose power, we might never get it back because the world has changed. Thank you. Be safe out there.